Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and uh, welcome, everybody, to uh, another Thursday night here on Golf Talk Live. We're going to be starting things off here uh, in just a, a few moments with another great round. In fact, the last round of the Coach's Corner panel for this season, uh, as we're going to be taking a break after next week uh, until the new year, and I'll give you all the information here in just a moment. Uh, and then, of course, I'm going to be followed up by another great special guest. And I'll tell you all of the information in just a, uh, a quick moment here. But let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evening uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, unless otherwise stated. Uh, best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just simply type golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you there for some reason if you can't join us uh, during the live broadcast uh, on thursdays uh, anytime you want to tune in just go to that link scroll down to the on demand section and you can click on any of the previously aired shows including tonight's will be there a little bit later on as they are are all auto recorded so you can listen to them whenever it's convenient for you some other great uh, social media platforms that you can tune into uh, itunes.com stitcher.com tunein.com and TalkStreamLive.com. Again, just type in Golf Talk Live on any of those social media platforms, and you can listen to the show uh, whenever it's convenient and wherever it's convenient for you. Uh, if you want to call in and, and speak to either myself or any of my special guests uh, during either the Coach's Corner panel or my uh, guests that follow in my interview uh, portion later on in the broadcast, uh, you're welcome to do so by calling area code 646 716 4667, or you can certainly email any questions or comments to me personally. My email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And of course, I update in all major social media uh, platforms, including Facebook, uh, Twitter, and of course, LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, you can, uh, or sorry, Facebook and LinkedIn, and you can check out it on my personal page, uh, Ted Odorico, or uh, Golf Talk Live blog, and my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, CEO being in capital letters. So for any of you uh, recent followers, thank you very much for, for following me there. Uh, you can get all the updates as to who's going to be on the show and a little bit about what's going to be going on that particular night. So make sure you check some of those social media platforms. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting things off here with uh, Coach's Corner, and then I'm going to be joined by my very special guest uh, a little bit later on. But let me just uh, remind everybody, of course, we've got a great sponsor uh, for the Coach's Corner panel this season, uh, towards the latter part of the season, uh, they came on board. And of course, I'm talking about golfswing.com, and they're going to be uh, going into the new year as well. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Then I'm going to introduce the Coach's Corner panel and bring them on, and then we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, golfswing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. In addition to, uh, to sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment, uh, every week I'm going to post a different uh, golf instructional video tip 
featuring one of the top instructors from golfswing.com. So make sure you check after the broadcast, go to my social media platforms, and uh, you'll see, uh, again, another great video tip uh, from the golfswing.com library. And I'll tell you how you can join their uh, uh, online video academy at the end of the show. Uh, so make sure you stick around for that, and I'll tell you all the uh, great deals going on. Uh, let me bring out the uh, last Coach's Corner panel of uh, 2018. Start things off, of course, uh, Mr. John Hughes, a good friend of mine. He's a PGA Master Professional and the president of the North Florida PGA section, as well as the 2013 PGA of America Horton Smith Award recipient. And he's a top 30 instructor uh, with Golf Tips uh, magazine. Uh, also on the show tonight, Peter Agazarian, another good friend, uh, he's a PGA and TPI teacher professional with Taconic uh, Golf Club. He's also the head men's golf coach with Massachusetts College, uh, also the owner of Northeast Golf Performance and the 2017 Northeast New York PGA Section Player Development Award recipient. Uh, also on the panel, uh, Clint Wright. He's a 30-year member of the PGA, partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach, one of the best covering the short game today, in my opinion, uh, plus one of my favorite guests and panelists here on the Coach's Corner. Uh, and rounding out, last but not least, of course, another good friend, uh, Pete Buchanan. He's the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Brace, excuse me. And he's also been a teacher uh, over the past 30-plus years. So, guys, uh, welcome to the final Coach's Corner panel of 2018. Glad to be here, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Yep. Thanks, Ted. All right. I- I appreciate it. All right, so um, Pete, as in Pete Buchanan, we're going to start with you uh, with this particular question. Uh, these are just some general questions, but I think uh, as we're getting into sort of the end of the season, these are things that we want uh, our students and, and players that we might be working with uh, to be thinking about, uh, not only as they, uh, for those that still are able to play in, in certain parts of the country, but uh, those maybe getting ready to go into the off season, some things to, to think about and to consider. Uh, as we get ready uh, and plan ahead for next year. So um, one of the things, uh, Pete, that that we want to do, I think, is to create a practice regiment that's going to hold up. And, you know, we see a lot of times, uh, a lot of the students out there that we're working with, um, or even when we're sometimes ourselves are out in the range uh, or practice tee, we're just seeing a lot of people just sort of hit and rake and hitting balls and not really have any sort of uh, purpose to their practice. So how do we create a practice regimen, if you will, a routine um, that's going to hold up and that's going to keep their interest enough that they're going to want to do it and repeat it um, every time that they go out there and are working on their game? First of all, it depends on what level the player is and what type of practice you're going to design for them. You know, some are going to need more short game work, some more full swing work. And so you want to just look at each individual that you have and put together a program that's going to best enhance, you know, what they need to work on, but also looking at it from a standpoint of you want to try to make it so it's, it's fun. You want to make it to where they're, they're not just hitting balls. Like you said, you don't want them just to beat balls, but giving them some activities to do um, some different types of shots to play. Um, I have a whole program I put together, which takes them through putting, chipping, pitching, um, and the full shots, and they're doing different types of, of repetitions, uh, different yardages, um, different uh, landing areas, uh, different drills around the green. And so each day they have a specific routine that they can do, and it depends on you know what days they can do it. Some can practice more time than others. So you really just want to build you know uh, a repeatable uh, 
practice routine for them, but also give them, you know, some, some games and some things they can play in the meantime to keep their interest. Um, but also, you know, not making it too difficult in the end. You don't want them just beating balls. You know, I just came from the, you know, the web.com Q school finals and, you know, you're watching some of these guys practice and warm up and they're doing all kinds of different things. So it's not just pounding balls. They all have a specific purpose to what they're doing. And that's what you want to create with their practice as well. You want a purpose to the practice, not just hitting golf balls. Right. And I think in addition to that too, we want to, uh, and great answer, by the way, uh, Pete, uh, I think what we also want to do is to help them ingrain a good pre-shot routine. This is another area that I think sort of goes hand in hand with a lot of uh, golfers out there that, you know, they, they'll maybe do a pre-shot routine on one shot and then just start hitting balls and not really sort of reinforce that pre-shot. Because if you watch the pros, um, you know, out on, on the tours, regardless of what tour you're watching, uh, every shot they go through the same routine um, without fail. And the only time that you ever see them not doing that routine or deviating uh, in most cases is if um, they're under a lot of stress or a lot of pressure and they've somehow been distracted from that routine. But otherwise, they, they're pretty regimented in that. So that's another area, would you agree, Pete, that we want to make sure that we're teaching our students to help them develop uh, a routine that's going to be repeatable for them so that when they get up over the shots, that they're going through that routine and getting prepared to hit whatever shot they're going to be faced with. Well, no question. I think it's something that uh, will help them on the course while they're playing. It will help them ease into what they're doing, take a little bit of the pressure off if they have a routine that they can follow. And, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I watched uh, as the pressure came down on Sunday, watching these guys play with the, knowing what the number was, the cards, and you could see sometimes they'd, you know, they'd set up over it and they'd stop and they'd go right back through the same routine again um, to, to hit the shot. So, you know, they don't deviate no matter what happens or what's going on. But so, yeah, I think it's really, really good for them to build that. It doesn't matter what the routine is, just so long as they build one that they can repeat and, uh, you know, add that to every shot that they're hitting. Yeah, exactly. And I think you have to work with each individual player, obviously not uh, um, one routine isn't uh, one size fits all. I mean, every player is unique and you want to develop something that's going to be comfortable for them to, to be able to ingrain and, and, and learn as they, um, as they develop through their, their playing ability. Um, Clint, I'm going to come to you sure. next. Um, your, your turn to uh, throw you under the bus, so to speak. Um, and, and this is an area, you know, we've been on the practice team now with, with Pete and we've got a good pre-shot routine and uh, got a good practice session going, but now it's time to take it out on the golf course. So how do we define a a good playing strategy? uh, And more importantly, how do we make sure that once we have that strategy or that game plan for for today's round, uh, that we stay the course, that we don't deviate too much from our our agenda of the day? Well, I mean, I think that's pretty simple. I mean, if you've, had the great practice session and you, you've developed your strategy for your home course or maybe it's a tournament round at a, at a different course, I mean, it just it, it's difficult, but it's also the, it's easy to say but difficult to do, is one is to stay focused and disciplined on, on what you intended to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that goes from hole to hole. I think in, in some cases you may Decide, you know, you're hitting three wood off of number one. It's going to leave you in a good good spot for your, your really full shot distance into the first green because you, 
you, you don't want to be maybe playing that little three-quarter shot or something on the first hole. You're a little more nervous, and, and your personality is more to make a full swing, you know, going into the green. So you lay back, you stay with it. Maybe it just doesn't work out on hole number one. Now you don't hit your second mm-hmm. shot real good, and, and it, it just didn't play out the way you had planned. <clears throat> you have to put a number two and stay with your plan. Right. And you, you got to be disciplined enough not to panic after the first hole or second hole just didn't turn out the way you had envisioned how you were going to play that round that day. Uh, I see so many players that, and particularly in collegiate golf and, and high school golf, they, you, you talk about how they're going to play this golf course that they've maybe seen once or twice at, at best. Um, and they get a, a little off track early in the round and they just, you know, just go off in the ditch. And, versus pulling themselves back in and staying with the plan uh, to make up maybe down the road for the, the mistakes they made earlier, or possibly even late in the round. Uh, so it, it's really just a right. simple focus and discipline to, to, to stay with your plan versus um, trying to, to overcome an early, you know, mistake or, or uh, just unfortunate bad break, you know. Right. And, and Clint, let me ask you, you know, if, if you're coaching – um, you know, say a student, it's not just a matter of giving lessons and that you're actually coaching them uh, throughout the season. Obviously the strategy that you're going to help them develop um, is going to differ from uh, a more skilled player than it would be say a, a more junior player with, um, you know, as an example, your more skilled player is a much more confident ball striker. So they can effectively maybe be a little bit more aggressive out in the course. Whereas a newer golfer that doesn't have that same ability Obviously, their strategy, you're going to have them maybe uh, focus on uh, certain areas of the game that are going to help them still yield some good results. Would, would that be pretty accurate, you think? Yeah, I think, you know, that, that we can have a long conversation about what the most important shot is. Uh, you know, some right. people will say it's – but I coach every player, regardless of their skill level, that they want to try to make their third shot the easiest shot that they can make. Third shot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if I'm a 100-shooter, I just want to advance it where I can get my third shot on the green every, every hole. Because if I can get my third shot on the green every hole in two-putt, I shoot 90. Right. If I'm an accomplished player, I'm trying to, to, to get the, the third shot in the hole to make pars on the par threes and birdies on the fours and a pitch up close enough to end that really high percentage range of, of make on the par fives because we know that's how they make a living. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to coach my, my players, regardless of their skill level, to focus on where they're going to play their third shot from and right. be very good with those clubs. That's a very important thing. We all on this panel know that the tour players and the best players of this world are, are really good with their third shot club. And the better players right, – exactly. Third shot clubs are putter and a wedge, and they're really good at it. Um, yep, that's maybe your... that the third shot is for the ninety player. Maybe the same club might be a nine iron, but we want to get that third shot on the green for our high handicap players. And if they can putt, like you know, I, I teach I teach people to putt. That's an important thing for them to do. Obviously, if they can get their third shot on the green and two putt, they're they're you know they're a ninety shooter, which is a really pretty good golfer in our world. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And you know, we've talked about some of the stats in the past 
before yeah. with just how many golfers are not even breaking a hundred. So, you know, obviously you want to focus, as you said, on that third shot. And you're right. It is very, uh, very important. Um, great answers, by the way. Um, John, I'm going to give this one to you. Uh, and, you know, we get out on the golf course and it happens to even the best players. Uh, all hell breaks loose, if you will. Uh, you know, the wheels, the proverbial wheels fall off the bus. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a panic mode. Um, how do we how do we recover from that? What do we do? What are we saying to ourselves? Uh, and if you're a coach, what are you saying to your student? If you're out doing a playing lesson and you're going along, you know, whether it be a nine hole or, or a whole round uh, and that happens, what's the conversation that you're having with that student? Breathe, number one. Number two, it's in the past. There's nothing you can do about it. But you do have an opportunity with the next shot to recover if you're looking at it as a task. Uh, task meaning it's the outcome of your next shot is solely the outcome of that shot, not a, not a result of a previous one, nor will it result in a future one. Uh, what I mean by that is that everybody out there has tasks they do, whether at the home, at the job, whatever it is, it's that checklist. If you think of 72 as par, those are 72 different tasks. I like what Clint said as far as the third one. And yes, some of the tasks lead up to that third shot. However, you can't get to the third shot until you do the first one. And if that first one's not so good, Let's forget about it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's in the past. What are you going to do for this next task? And if you if you really examine it, this next next task, the problem you are solving may be a little bit more difficult than the first problem you had. Obviously, there's virtually no problems off the tee box unless your ball flight isn't conducive for the particular way the hole is designed. But that doesn't mean that all is lost. Uh, the real key is just taking emotion, emotion out of a shot. And what I've found with uh, players is I'm on the course with them just going through instruction is if we break it down to just this particular task, then aggregately all the tasks add up to what you score. And what most people find is, they don't realize they have the potential to score lower if they're able to do that. They get so caught up in the moment and they just can't release it and let it go. There's lots of different ways you can do that, but the bottom line is it's a task. Clear your mind so you can do the next one, and if your next one's a little bit more difficult, let's take a little bit of extra time to problem solve and get you back on track. It's not about what happened in the past. It's not about what happened in the future. It's about what's going on now. Everybody calls right. it one shot at a time. It's uh, it's not an overused phrase so much as I think a lot of people gloss over what the meaning is. And that meaning is very simply if you're giving your son or daughter chores to do and they've got to check it off before they get their allowance or your spouse has done the same thing for you or you've done that for employees or as an employee a boss has done that for you golf's no different and if you take mm -hmm. that if you take that kind of approach to it 
at the end of the day, you actually accomplish something. Well said. Uh, great answer, John. Um, Peter, uh, John actually very eloquently kind of walked us right into my, my next question, which I'm going to give to you. Um, and, and that is how do we focus and stay in the moment uh, and not several holes ahead? And let me give you an example. You know, a lot of, uh, of our golfers out there, they, they get into a situation where um, maybe, you know, I mean, there's multiple scenarios, but, you know, as an example, maybe they've got a good ro- round uh, going right now. Uh, they're thinking about the score, and now they're thinking about two or three holes down the road because uh, maybe there's a difficult hole. They're trying to plan strategy for that hole that's three or four holes ahead, and they're not staying in the moment. So walk us through a little bit of that conversation because I know, obviously, as a head coach, uh, golf coach, that, that you're working with your players, and these are probably some scenarios that might come up. So how do we stay focused, stay in the moment, and not be focusing on what's happening uh, down the road in the round? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it, you know, I'm always asking players why, um, you know, and that, that generally gives, and then if they give an answer that's obscure, I ask why again, and then that kind of drives the point home that they're being silly um, and that they need to, to refocus when you're, when you're asked, when you're in the moment, it's, you know, you're out walking next to a player. It's, it's all about what's going to get them in a mindset that's going to, you know, get them where they need to be so they can, understand that that's not a productive thing but um at the same time i acknowledge as being perfectly natural players playing well players playing poorly um they you know the the issue that i run into most often is that people have a a preset number in their head before they even go on a golf course as to what they think is good um you know what's going to be great what's going to take to win what's going to be bad and then once they start fringing certain numbers and in their own mindset, because it's all relative, um, they start either getting off game plan, pressing, becoming discouraged, becoming frustrated. There's a lot of emotional things that go into um, exactly what you're talking about. But um, you know, as a coach, if you know you're you're playing, you're coaching players that you can't be out there with then that's part of the preparation that needs to be openly discussed and the anxieties that the player might feel if you go, I mean, I go hole by hole before, before events with my players, you know, 18 birdies is great. You know, you have an app on your phone now where you can just go basically hole by hole and say, you know, what you've looked at this, what's your game plan? What are you concerned about? And then if you you have that open conversation, it, it helps them talk through it maybe make an alternative plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very, honestly, it's a very emotional thing. You know, generally speaking, you're working with a player that has the capacities to control their ball and play well, but um, their emotions and their environment are going to change that dramatically without, without any really, you know, maybe it changes their technique a little bit, but their, their, their environment will, will cause a lot of uh, outcomes to be different than they could be. Well, well said, uh, Peter, and, and, and you're exactly right. You know, obviously, um, the elements, if you will, and I'm not talking about whether it's raining or, or whatnot, but the elements around them um, that they may be faced with, the heat of the competition, if, if they're a more advanced player, maybe playing in collegiate golf or, or maybe even out on tour, there's a lot of factors that, that uh, you know, can creep into the head and, 
and uh, in the mind and, and cause uh, a lot of anxiety and stress. And, you know, a lot of people don't factor that in, and, and it is important for them to really um, stay focused in that moment because, uh, again, a lot of them get distracted very, very easily. We've seen even some of the best players in the world, uh, you know, in, in, in a tournament situation where the pressure gets so, so much that um, they lose focus uh, and are, are trying to, you know, they're leaderboard watching, if you will, and, and they're not really focusing on the task at hand. So it's very important to have that uh, discussion. Obviously, again, you can't be with them all the time, so you want to make sure they're, they're uh, best prepared uh, for when they go out there, uh, and it's almost like they've got you sitting on their shoulder. So a great answer. I like that. Um, Pete, we're going to come back to you. Uh, on this one. This is a question, uh, it's going to be the same for all of you, uh, and this is really a reflection back on the season for you as a coach, if you will, or a teaching professional. Uh, and, and Pete, the, the question is this, um, if there was a particular moment throughout the season, or and it could be involved just maybe a particular s- student where you felt there was an aha moment, uh, if you want, I hate to copy that from Oprah, but uh, that aha moment where um, that particular student or maybe group uh, lesson or what have you you were working with that actually got what you were trying to say. Obviously, there's times when we're working our best to, to express what we need uh, for them to understand, but was there a time throughout the season or even just in a general aha moment throughout the season you thought, okay, uh, everything's just really firing in all cylinders here? Uh, Pete, that's for you. Well, I think it was twofold for me. One was just from a a sheer a practice standpoint, working with uh, one of my tournament players where we were we were using, the, uh, you, you've seen the hack motion device, the wrist sensor, we were working on it, and I was trying to show him, you know, yeah. how the wrist movements affect, you know, the ball flight and the impacts on track man. And it was really surprising for him to see, you know, not only the numbers uh, and, and how they improved, but just the overall motion that had to be in there. You know, even though I knew from a, a the teaching standpoint, that's where I wanted them, but just looking at the numbers and watching the, the, the wrist movements develop and then watching the ball flight change was, you know, I think it was really cool for him because it just turned the light bulb on even brighter than it was before for him to understand that, wow, that really is, that really is a, a huge difference in what's going on with how we're moving that golf club uh, throughout the, mm-hmm. the swing. And I think, you know, just for me, uh, I'd say not just an aha moment, but, a pretty special moment was, you know, spending time prepping and then watching, you know, Will Harold, who I've been coaching for a couple of years, mostly online, uh, you know, following along in the, the web.com two school finals. I mean, that, that to me was a great experience to be out there. Um, right. Watching the, you know, all the different players, but just spending the time in the four rounds and watching the up and downs of the rounds, um, uh, not only his, but the other players, I think for me, from a seasonal standpoint, was a really cool uh, cool thing to see and experience. And uh, I'm really glad I went and watched him. And, and um, you know, I think it's something if everybody has a chance to even just to go out and watch it, they should watch it. But um, that to me was, was kind of a, a cool, uh, I would say, moment for me for the season. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's, it's a, you always take the good with the bad. I mean, he played really well, but, you know, he finished one short. So, I mean, it's just, you know, over four days, wow. you, you just look back and you're like, well, where is that one shot? But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, he made a he made right. a huge made a huge birdie on the last hole to get to 17 under to finish one shot back, which got him, 
you know, elevated in status. So, I mean, that was a big, big burden to have on the last hole. So it was a, a really unique experience. And I uh, also got to witness one of the other players make eight straight birdies, so, which was which was unbelievable. I mean, he, he knocked the pin down seven of those, and I think the longest putt was, was 10 feet. But um, wow. it was just a, just a whole huge, really fun experience to watch. And, and um, I think for me that was a big highlight of the, of the year. Well done. Um, Clint, what about you? Any, any moments throughout the, the season? Obviously, um, you know, you want to sort of review the, the year in your mind, and, and was there anything that, that really stuck out for you, that whether it be uh, a more accomplished player or whether it was maybe a beginning golfer that you really felt that, that everything was just sort of gelling and, and get, kind of gave you that aha moment that they're understanding what it is I'm, I'm saying to them and, and I'm seeing some great improvement and everything's just sort of, as I said, firing on all cylinders. Anything like that for you this season that uh, you can share? Well, no, not really. I mean, he's kind of hard to beat what he just was talking about. But um, <laughs> that's uh, that's a pretty good story. But, you know, the, the the main thing, I guess, when you talk to people that, you know, you, 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 you do the third shot clinics like I do, and you, you tell people when you're standing around, that, hey, you know, you know how you shoot 108? And they go, well, no. I said, well. That's all sixes, and if you want to make all fives, you got to get your third shot on the green and two putt. And when they come in and, and they say, well, you know, they had a really good round today and they scored their best round of the year, and you ask them, well, did you hit it any better? And they'll look at you kind of like deer in the headlights and said, well, no, not really. I said, well, what did you do different? And it, they, it dawns on them that they just played a better strategy. They didn't overplay. I think it was a uh, – I can't remember who you'd called on, but it said, well, the first shot was okay, you got it in trouble, the second shot's just a little tougher. But the whole attitude that they begin to have is even though the second shot's from out of the trees, they're not trying to get it on the green. They're trying to position they, – they, they have a better strategy of get it up around the green, get the third shot on the green. Maybe you make a putt, but you two putts, you still make bogey. And for a, a 95 shooter to do that, is a great accomplishment for the year. So we see that all the time, that when they Mm -hmm. begin to understand how to score and become a player uh, versus a hitter, that's a real big accomplishment for somebody that's trying to go from 100 down to 90. Um, Right. Right. You know, that's really the the, the cool thing about it. But I will tell you a quick story. We had – yesterday, or two days ago, the, the, the the weather was terrible here. We had four people play. All day, four people. Mm. And two of them played nine holes and two of them played 18. And one of the people who played 18 made a hole in one. So what's the odds on that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got two people playing golf and one of them makes a hole in one. And it, and it was the third hole in one she, she had made this year. So wow. it was, she was so excited. So that was fun to see. That, that, that's, about, uh, that's about as good as I've got this year. Well, hey, that I'll take that one anytime. That's a, a great, uh, you know, a great thing to, for anybody to to even get one hole in one, but to get three in a season. That's that's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, she right made three there. this year. That, wow, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And John was the one that I uh, that had mentioned what you were talking about earlier. And John, I'm going to okay. pose that to you. Any aha moments uh, throughout the season that that you can share with us? That something that just really really gelled for you. I've got three that stick out, but I think the entire panel would say uh, 
aha moments happen every day. Uh, right. We probably go home at night when they don't happen, and we're wondering what happened and, and what can we do better. <laughs> uh, the, the aha moments happen all the time. They even happen for us uh, individually. I, I'd say the three that stick out in my mind is a mini tour player finally breaking through and playing consistent enough where he's making checks. Uh, he's still mm-hmm. not making enough checks to make it a, a full-time living, but enough to where he's excited. Uh, he's entering more tournaments. He's willing to step up the game a little bit. It it got him into the gym working out. Uh, it got him eating better. It, his entire life turned around, which was fun to see. Uh, the second one has more to do with just a general group of people, and I would call it beginners. I started, uh, I tried to take my business in a slightly different direction this year, and it, it it was a fun one, watching people who had never held a golf club before just start jumping up and down because they hit the ball straight and it went 25 yards. That was just absolutely amazing and they uh for most golfers they'd sit there and laugh at me saying it but for the person who's never held a club before uh really instrumental in in creating some self-confidence and one lady in particular who had a very uh difficult time with self-confidence for whatever reason she had uh at one point during this clinic literally in tears because of a uh physical defect that she had and, and she was trying so hard by the end of the clinic just rolling over in happy tears that she accomplished something. Uh, it was almost like mm-hmm. he gave her the Ryder Cup and she did it all by herself. Uh, and then the, the third one that sticks out in my mind is uh, one of the girls on my high school golf team who is a decent athlete, plays multiple other sports but really came into her own by just doing what she knows best, and that's diligence. She's brought up in a house of diligence. She's a straight-A student, but couldn't relate those things to her golf game. And at the beginning of the season, again, in tears, because she felt like she should have picked up where she left off, yet she hadn't touched a club in ten and a half months. And and the nurturing Mm. and and the, the full bodied piece of work that she did in about 13 and a half weeks paid off where she made the regionals of the state and she couldn't believe it. She got to regionals and she was like frosty, the snowman. She was frozen in time and frozen in motion. That's something we'll work on for next year. And as she came out of it, she was exhausted mentally, physically and emotionally. But the very next day she pulls me aside and says, you know, I had no clue I was capable of doing this, and next year is going to be that much more fun. And I think if the panel would agree, when you get some feedback like that, no matter what you've done with a client, no matter what that client's done, that's the aha moment for us. Yeah, well said. Uh, And you're exactly right. Some great examples. Thank you. Um, and Peter, I know you've uh, again working with uh, not only your your regular students, but obviously working as uh, a golf coach. Uh, you get to see a lot of those, uh, much like John, a lot of those uh, moments throughout the season. Anything particular that stands out for you for this season? 
Yeah, absolutely. There was one kid um, that, you know, flat just flat improved his conference championship, his 36-hole conference championship score by 50 shots over the last wow. time he played his sophomore year. Um, just a great kid, worked hard, uh, happy to, you know, happy to coach him. Um, but it was really nice to see because there was um, there was that ability there that, and, you know, just to see him realize it um, was great, uh, you know. But I think hmm. I agree with John. There's just a ton of aha moments all all the time leading up to a performance like that. I think it's all the sum of sum of what they learned, you know, coming out once in a while just like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's I think that's about it for me. Nothing nothing crazy profound. I'm looking forward to what, what's coming next year. Well, that's a great, um, you know, a, a great thing to have when, you know, when you're working with, with students, uh, you know, of, of any age and of any ability and to see, you know, a drastic change uh, in, you know, from, from moment to moment and seeing that expression, you know, on their face. And, you know, even sometimes it may not, have quite reached the goal that they intended, but to see a substantial improvement enough that it gets them excited that they want to come back out and, and keep seeing and pushing themselves a little bit more to see how much further they can go is, is certainly very rewarding. I, and again, I think as you, you guys have pointed out, I think everybody in the panel would agree. All right. You know, something that I think we all have to do is, you know, as, as a, a player or student, out there is to sort of have a post round inventory uh, or post season inventory, if you will. Um, Pete, I'm going to go back up with um, with you to start things off and just talk about, you know, maybe give an example. If you're reviewing, uh, you know, with a player, you're taking an evaluation of the end of the season. What are you going to be looking for with your students and what, key elements are you going to do? And I'm going to roll the second question in. So uh, you're taking a post-round inventory or post-season inventory, and then you're going to, based on that assessment, you're going to prepare them for next season, what they need to do in order to come back out uh, in, in a positive uh, frame for next season. So, Pete, I'm going to start with you. What, what do we do? What are we looking for at the end of the season? Uh, and what are we going to do to prepare them for next season? Well, I think first of all, we look at, you know, what were our goals to begin with and, and how did we fare relative to those? Uh, did we meet? Did we exceed, you know, what you wanted to do from the beginning? Because I have them all, you know, write down what they want to do and, and what they're trying to achieve throughout the season. And you just take a look back and see how we did. And relative to that, if there are areas that uh, we didn't hit uh, and didn't, you know, exceed like we wanted to or we – you know, really overexceeded. Let's look at, you know, how did we do that? What things did we uh, accomplish along those lines that made that so successful or not so successful? And now let's put those into our goals for next year that we're going to work on and begin to, to practice and put that into motion as far as, you know, practice routines and things we need to work uh, to achieve those. And even if it's, you know, uh, I know I had one who came to me at the beginning of the year and he said all he wanted to do was, 
was break 90 and, um, you know, shot in the seventies a few times. So, you wow. know, there's a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good exceeding of goals there. Um, but you know, we have to take <laughs> it in stride and, and start to look at next year and say, okay, you know, it's not like we're going to go into the sixties now, but let's be realistic with what, what we've done and let's start to pan out what you want to do for next year and what goals you have and what scores you have. And, and uh, also not only, you know, what those goals are, but how are we going to achieve them? And what does it going to take from a practice routine and a playing routine uh, to get to those goals and to make them achievable for what you want to do? So I think it's just looking back. Um, you know, one of the things I like to do, too, is when they start off at the beginning of the year, I said, I want you to advance yourself one year from now and look back and, and um, you know, ask yourself, are you where you want to be and what does that look like? And then let's set forth a plan to make sure we can achieve that. And so what are we going to do to make it, you know, work so you can achieve what you see? And so I think it's just a matter of, you know, looking back and and seeing how the season went and then building a a viable program uh, starting next year to continue along the journey. Well said. Um, Clint, you know, one of the things, you know, you've mentioned on the show before, is sometimes just maintaining where we're at in the moment. Uh, and, and I mean by that is, uh, especially for some of our, our older golfers um, who have maybe hit some plateaus and they're wanting to maintain that good distance and maintain that, that good ability out there. Um, we're looking back now on their season and what are we going to do to help them maintain that for next season? And there, is there some room for maybe setting some new goals in the new season uh, to push them a little bit further uh, and, and maybe get them to that next level? Um, you know, they may be past uh, playing uh, competitive on a tour or, or even collegiate, but um, they still want to be competitive when they go out there and play. So what, what, what are we doing when we look at their, their season that's just ending and how do we get them ready for next year? Well, you know, Ted, we're, we're fortunate here. We we really don't look at things as far as seasons and next year. You know, we we kind of play, you know, semi year round this time of year. But you know, with, with most of the guys that I work with, which are a lot of the you know fifty and over uh, guys, is that um, we just try to to help them understand that that if they to define what's getting better to start with, hitting it better, hitting it further, maintaining what they have very well may be through the winter months when we're not playing quite as much, staying with a flexibility program, you know, do your exercises. You know, if you're not going to play golf today, stretch, make some swings, you know, try to keep your body, you know, in playing condition. You know, we all know in the summer if we're playing a lot, we can almost play ourselves into a little bit better playing, you know, condition. But when we're not playing quite as much, we need to stretch a little more often and, and uh, try to stay in contact with what we're doing. Uh, so we, we look at it as almost an ongoing process, um, maybe not playing quite as much this time of year, but just simply trying to maintain. And as we get older, as we've talked before, um, you know, that little exercise program and your stretching program becomes more and more important to just being able to, to kind of stay with the status quo. If that's the mm-hmm. case, then I encourage my guys, hey, if you're not going to be able to play today, the putting green and the chipping green are very close to the clubhouse. You can run out there and chip for about 30 minutes, come back in and warm up. You know, so right. at least do a little <laughs> bit of that. 
and that that'll kind of help you stay in touch with that third shot program and your your scoring ability when you do get a chance to go out and play. Right. Well said, and and you're exactly right. You know, a lot of times, and and, and Clint, you're right, and and John, I know you're you're going to probably be along the same lines. We're we're very fortunate down here in the in the southeastern part of the United States, where it's generally warm, uh, other than the last couple of days, but um, generally warm throughout the season. And uh, you know, we we get an opportunity to play uh, certainly all year round, uh, much unlike they they do in 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 other parts of the country, but. Um, you know, John, we, we, we want to be able to help these, these golfers. Um, and I, I can't think of a better example than the young lady you were, you ended the, the last segment in uh, using her as an example. So you, you've obviously assessed her, uh, her ability at this point from how she's played this year. She's obviously excited about next year. What, what's the conversation going to be with her to get her ready for next season? Well, right now the conversation's on hold because she's playing another sport. Uh, the way we left it the day after her regional was, let's make sure you're you're not putting the clubs in the corner of the garage and they're collecting dust. Let's do anything other than that, which uh, mm-hmm. what I'm understanding is she's doing exactly that. Whether the weekend she's going out with family and, having a good time. The, the balance of her family plays a lot of golf. They're still into it. They don't really play other sports at the moment. They play another spring sport. Uh, the the real key is just staying active, uh, having not necessarily a big plan, a, a very simple plan. In this case, look at what you did with 10 and a half months off. Can you imagine what you could do if you hit balls once a week? And I had to make it right. realistic simply because of her class load as well as the other activities she's in uh, to give her a well-rounded life, which is what she was looking to do. Other people, uh, I've got a mixed bag of people. I have people coming to me, uh, regular clients from the north, who either uh, come here for six months, the proverbial snowbird, and they're either gearing up for a season and or they're coming to me with, end of summer season things that they're wanting to do. So they've already gone through that evaluation. And by Mm. February, March, we're evaluating what they did in the winter so they can go back to where they came from in the summer and and implement what we're doing there. Uh, I have a lot. I just had a gentleman today from the northwest corner of Ohio. He's going to have a difficult time practicing, but it's literally – something he he's on a long-term mission to get one thing and one thing only done in his swing. And here, here's the plan. And in, in 90 minutes, it was, okay, here's this, here's that. And here's the video for it. And here's the reference. And here's my cell phone and let's keep going on with it. And then come spring, I'll be having that same kind of person coming, trying to jam it all in in three or four weeks, max, uh, maybe a week. Right. And that's when I always go back and tell people, you know what, if I had Cheech and Chong's magic dust that Santa's giving his reindeer <laughs> right now, then you really think I'd be throwing it on you. I'd be keeping it, and I'd be having a lot of fun with it. So I'm always letting people know that that evaluation is part of their magic dust. So long as it's realistic, it fits into the other priorities of their life, 
and they're able to accomplish something. It's it's not it's not task oriented. It's accomplishment something. Uh, what did you do today that you accomplished? Not just go through the motions. When when you can accomplish something every day, you come out of that off season feeling pretty good, or you go into that off season knowing what you're wanting to do. So when when the chips are down, when you created that plan to peak at the right moment, you're right there ready to do it. Well said. Um, great great example. Uh, and and finally, Peter, um, obviously. Uh, you're in a little cooler climate uh, than what I or John or even Clint are. Um, and you want to gear up for, for next season. Um, what are, what what's the conversation going to be? Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. It's time for time for you to move my friend. No, I'm only kidding. Um, no, so you, what's the conversation? Ted, I'm unique because I, you know, and I just tell people to keep going, you know, and it, it's, I'm fortunate to have two indoor studios with TrackMan, a bunch of great technology. So um, if they're in so inclined, then then we you know we we assess, we have a conversation, we make a plan, um, and then we keep going. We work towards it. And then in the spring, uh, at the end of the winter, I should say, we we you know we we take stock, we set different stretch goals, um, we set different objectives, some key results that we need to see in order to get there, but that's just the ongoing process. We do that. that we evaluate key results on a, on a bi-monthly basis. You know, if we're there, we're there. We need to reevaluate and set some other key results to get us to the next place. But um, if they're a youth golfer, I want them to play another sport first. Uh, that's why we pared down all of we – pared, we pared down the junior program completely uh, except for the junior elite program, we meet once a week at a time that uh, polling the parents, they can participate in another sport. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, fortunately, even though there's, we're locked in for snow right now for the pretty much the rest of the winter. Um, right. We, we keep going. We keep going. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's the real key thing guys is, is I think that, you know, regardless of where you are and, and uh, even if you don't happen to be fortunate uh, as, as Peter does to have that indoor facility to work with, there's things that we can get our students um, to do throughout the uh, off season for those that have a, a, a quote unquote traditional off season. There's things, uh, Clint, like you mentioned, stretching and, and, and other things that they can be doing to keep themselves limber and loose. And, and, you know, there's a lot of great aids out there, uh, training aids out there that they can use uh, shortened clubs and things like that that they can use to still be making some of the movements and some of the uh, motions. I mean, they may not be able to hit shots if they don't have uh, the ability uh, close by, but there's still things that they can, they can do uh, to be working through and, and, and even maybe working on the strategy, look at uh, maybe giving them uh, almost like a homework assignment and say, you know, this winter when you're, you're not able to come out to the golf course uh, like you, you were through this, the main part of the season, Here's some things that you should be looking about, thinking about, working on, uh, reflecting on how you played this year, where your struggles were, so that when we come back out next season uh, and get into uh, a program again, these are our key areas that we're going to be focused on based on the results from this season. So there's a lot of wiggle room, if you will, and just because you've got a foot of snow on the ground doesn't mean you can't take advantage of uh, the opportunity to learn from uh, 
your your past uh, errors, if you will, or difficulties or struggles, and use that as an opportunity, as a learning tool, if you will, for next season. Because there's always, um, you know, that opportunity to to you know elevate your game, uh, but you can't do that if you're not evaluating where you are and being honest with yourself as well. Um, well, guys, I want to thank you. Uh, I, I can't believe that hour just sort of zipped right by. Um, I want to thank you all for uh, for joining me tonight on, on the final Coach's Corner of 2018. Uh, and all, as always, I'm going to give you a quick opportunity to uh, let the folks know where they can reach you if they want uh, uh, between now and, and um, next year, if they want to uh, maybe set something up with you. And just a, a general... Uh, contact information, whatever you want to do. So I'm going to go through the same order I've done all night. So, uh, Pete, uh, let's start with you. Well, they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. The plane is P-L-A-N-E. And all my contact information is out there. And um, some videos and some other things and uh, some new things we're going to be doing. So they can definitely get me out there. And I want to thank, uh, you know, Peter and Clint and John for tonight. It was great being on with you guys. And, again, you Ted for continuing this platform for us to be able to be on and it's a great thing that you're doing and and we really appreciate it well thank you uh, Pete I I appreciate it as well and and always glad to have you on the show Uh, Clint my friend uh, you've been working your way towards the front of the bus all these years on the coaches corner panel so I'm going to give you the mic Ted, thank you very much. I've been, I've been, I'm working hard at it, man. I was, it's been, it's been fun for the last what five years now, maybe four years. It's been fun. All kind of great things come out in the show, and 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 like Pete was saying, we thank you for your efforts and keeping it going because it's fun to do, and we all learn something. I do every time, to be honest with you. Uh, we try a few different things that we learn on the show as well, so it's been, it's a good learning experience for us. And um, I can be reached at clintgolf001 at yahoo.com. It's a simple thing to do. Just send me an email, and I'll be more than happy to have a conversation with you. And I hope, guys, I hope all of y'all have a great holiday and a, and a wonderful new year, So, and be safe. Thanks, Ted. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you, Clint. Uh, John? Uh, as always, uh, just put John Hughes Golf put a hashtag or an at sign ampersand in front of that and you're going to find me most anywhere johnhughesgolf.com for the uh, suffix if you're looking for my web address always a great time Pete, Clint and Peter always an honor to be on with you guys uh, as Clint said I'm always learning something from everybody Pete look forward to seeing you in Orlando in January and, and Ted I echo Pete and Clint's uh, statements. You do a great thing for golfers. You do a great thing for us. I appreciate the years you've allowed me to be on and, and share thoughts and look forward to doing it again in 19. Well, thank you. And uh, last but not least, uh, Peter. Yeah, Ted, again, like all the guys said, thanks for what you're doing here. I think it's uh, it's amazing. Um looking forward to next year as well um people can reach me at um, gogolfcoach.com and if you want to follow me on social it is uh dailygolf.coach um that's about it reach out happy to answer any questions for you perfect well uh pete clint peter and john uh, again thank you very much for giving of your time uh as always and it's hard to believe, but uh, I'm actually going into my seventh season next year 
uh, for Golf Talk Live, uh, and I believe it'll be the sixth season uh, for Coach's Corner. Because um, obviously he started the show a year before we added the uh, the Coach's Corner segment. So, um, and I know all you guys are coming back next year. I'm glad that we we've got you on the schedule already. So I'm happy about that. Um, and I appreciate your giving of your time and uh, especially sharing this last uh, Coach's Corner panel of, of 2018. So, guys, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to each and every one of you. I hope you have a safe and happy holiday. I echo, as Clint said, uh, be safe out there, enjoy it, and I look forward to having you guys uh, back on the show again next season. And uh, just uh, keep doing all the great things that you're doing out there, helping people uh, get educated about golf, understanding what to do and, and how to how to do it, and just really helping to grow the game. So thank you, and I'm going to keep doing uh, my end here. I enjoy it very much, obviously, and uh, I'm going to uh, got some interesting things coming up in 2019 uh, that I'll share at a later point. But uh, thank you guys uh, very much for all giving of your time, and all the best of the season to every one of you. Great, Ted. Happy Good night, guys. Ted. Great, thanks, Ted. Thank Happy you. holidays, right. everybody. Yep. All right, that was the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, John Hughes, Peter Agazarian, Clint Wright, Pete Buchanan, and um, just a great group of guys. Uh, always happy to uh, to have them on the show. And uh, let me just, uh, before I introduce my, uh, my special guest this evening, who is Michael uh, Riggs, the founder of One Way Golf, um, let me just uh, remind everybody, of course, uh, golfswing.com has uh, come on board as the uh, span, uh, sponsor excuse me, of the Coach's Corner panel. And here's a quick uh, short clip, a little bit about them, and uh, check it out. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? Golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, golfswing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, Golfswing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at Golfswing.com. All right. That was, uh, of course, our sponsor, uh, Golfswing.com. You can check them out after the show and check out their online video academy. All right, I'm going to introduce my uh, very special guest this evening. Uh, his name is uh, Michael Riggs. He's the founder of One Way Golf. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about uh, that and about him, and then we'll bring him on to uh, start tonight's uh, uh, interview of uh, my very special guest. The complete golfer is a well-prepared individual, physically as well as mentally. While most players admit that the game within the game uh, is between the ears, mental fitness training is an often overlooked ingredient as a a uh, golfer assembles a performance program. The mental fitness of a player is often the difference between success and failure. Uh, and over the past two decades plus decades, uh, Michael has been called upon to assist many of the most talented players uh, in the country from junior and collegiate competitors, uh, right up through the touring professionals. Uh, his institutional clients have included the university of Illinois, Colorado state university, and the University of Denver and Northwestern University. So uh, please help me welcome my very special guest uh, this evening, Michael Riggs. Good evening, Michael, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm not too bad. I apologize. I cut you off 
just a moment ago. I, I apologize that you had to call back in. My my uh, no my deepest apologies. Not a problem. You, did, you, uh, you right. got to adapt, right? Just like the game of golf, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right, so Michael, let's let's do this before we we get into uh, the main part of our discussion tonight. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, One Way Golf, uh, how you got things started, and and just a little bit more about your background, how you got involved in golf, and and why you got involved in golf. Absolutely. Well, One Way Golf really goes back about 25 years. Excuse me there. Uh, I did my graduate work originally at the University of Virginia, studied under Dr. Bob Rotella, that's kind of where I got my feet wet in, in the area of applied sports psychology. Um, you know, and while spending time down at UVA in Charlottesville with Bob and with some other grad students, um, really opened up my eyes and my mind to the fact that, you know, in the game of golf and all sports for that matter, you know, there's so much talent. There's so much talent out there. I mean, you can go to almost any golf course in America and find players that can hit it a mile and have incredible touch around the greens and can make putts. And yet there's only the the few that continue to improve over time and continue and continue and really get to where, where they want to be, their aspirations. And it became really apparent to me that, you know, it's it's certainly a game of technology and equipment and fitness, physical fitness, and, uh, you know, key areas of that sort. But it's very much a game of, mental fitness and it it really Mm -hmm. just came so clearly apparent to me studying you know sports psychology Hunter Rotella and then coming back to Chicago which is where I'm originally from I went back and started building my my clientele in the game of golf and outside of golf as well but and it just reinforced Ted the fact that you know all the talents in the world will only get you so far but if you're not marrying the the mental piece and, and really addressing that um, so that it's the you know the 15th club in your bag and possibly the most important club uh, then you're you're missing out and uh, you know so you know over the past 20 plus years you know as you mentioned in my introduction you know I've devoted my time efforts and energy toward um, really refining a program that would help competitive players to to utilize their mind uh, on the course, off the course, um, so that they can play their best, um, you know. And so, as I, as I said, it's you know, it's, it's in the making, you know. And I say that you know very humbly because every every day that I have the opportunity to work with another player, I believe that I learn something more. The one-way golf program becomes even more solidified, more well-rounded. Um, and so, it's a, a mental fitness training program for golfers, and we it's very comprehensive and really find greater success and satisfaction within the game. Yeah. And that you, you hit it right on the head. That is so important. You know, Michael, one of the things that, you know, as an instructor that I see, and I'm sure as you've talked to many instructors uh, across the country, um, you know, we get students that are coming and their primary focus is wanting to hit it farther um, is, is probably, I would say, if not number one, certainly close to it. Uh, and obviously, number two would be uh, certainly more accuracy. Um, but very few of them will come and say, you know what, I, I just don't know what to do out in the golf course. They're, they're more about the physical side of their game on how to become a better ball striker. And that certainly is important. But 
again, at the end of the day, even if you're a pretty decent ball striker, if you don't have the right mental approach to the game when you get out there or the mental toughness, if you will, you can be the best ball striker in the world. We've seen this time and time again on any of the tours, whether it be the PGA or LPGA tour, um, respectively, where a, a player who is a phenomenal uh, hitter of the ball just collapses mid mid round, uh, and obviously they've had some sort of a uh, you know an issue. So let, let's hit some of the points that that we're going to talk about tonight. Let's start with the first one, and that is really remaining confident. Um, that's something that obviously comes with time. Talk about the importance of being confident out there, and and how do we as as a player, and how does we maybe as a coach. Uh, try to help instill that with, with some of the folks that we're working with. Sure, absolutely. You know, and, and, and speaking to the, to the listeners this evening, you know, for those of you who are not um, driving a car, I encourage you to take out a piece of paper and a pencil and jot down some of these ideas that I'm going to share with you because my, my primary sole purpose here over the next 45 minutes or so is certainly to share what I know but share it in a manner that it becomes what I know so that you can then know. Uh, in other words, I mm-hmm. want you to learn something over the next 45 minutes of your life, uh, more than just be entertained and have your brain tickled. I really want you to learn something. <laughs> you can, no, seriously, that you can apply to right. your game. Because that's really what this, right. you know, what your show and, you know, and, and what my time here this evening is for. So that being said, mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm going to refer to Ted. You know, with your questions and my answers, I'm, I'm going to refer a lot to the One Way Golf Program um, because sure. simply it's the platform that I operate off of. You know, it's a best practices model. It is the product of thousands and thousands of hours of research into how the best players, how they think, how they act, how they react, and so. Um, so I'm going to share a lot of those those nuggets about the program with the listeners this evening. So you referenced, um, you know, staying confident. Well, um, mm-hmm. so on your pieces of paper or if you're driving in the car listening to this, I want you to think of one way. So think of O-N-E. That's an acronym. So O-N and E. And what you're referring to here specifically now is the E in in one way. And E represents execution. So when we talk about execution with players, ultimately what we're talking about is getting it done. Now, whatever it is, it could be a putt, could be a chip, could be a wedge, uh, 50-degree wedge into a green, could be a drive down the middle of the fairway, and on and on and on. So the it is not the important piece. What, what, it, what The important piece here is, is getting it done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you right. really need to hit that fairway, well, when, when the ball comes to a rest, are you in the fairway or what portion of the fairway to give yourself a good look at the flag stick on a par four, you know, and so forth. So the E is what we call execution. There are four C's, the letter C, and, and these are what they are in order, and then I'll come back to the one specifically that you addressed. The first C mm-hmm. is commitment. When we talk about commitment, Ted, what we're talking about is commitment to the shot itself, what you've envisioned hitting, but also and possibly more importantly the process of what it's going to take to hit that shot. What do I need to do as a golfer, as a player, to hit the shot I just saw in my mind's eye? And this is all before takeaway. The second C of execution is confidence, which you referred to. Now we talk about confidence, ultimately we're talking about is being confident in your ability 
to do what you need to do to hit the shot you saw in your mind. In other words, do I believe and do I have the skill to hit that shot? So confidence is very much, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a preparation. It's, it's, a, it's a, am I prepared? Can I do that? The third C is concentration, being totally focused on the job at hand and the process that you're engaged in. And then the fourth C of execution, really relaxed mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, just being in a good flow state, being in the right frame of being, <clears throat> excuse me, so that you can hit the shot, again, that you've seen in your mind's eye. So now let's go back to the, the, the confidence, the second C that you referred to. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times when I work with players, I think they have a complete misunderstanding of what confidence really is. They think confidence is this outward swag. It's this, it's this way of presenting <laughs> yourself, chest kind of poofed out and chin high and just kind of walking along as if you own the world. You're walking down the fairway and mm -hmm. this golf course is mine. Well, I think that that may be an outward expression of confidence, but I, but I, I believe, um, and it's been proven over and over, that confidence is really an inside game. You know, I'm more often um, a little bit more afraid of the player who's nice and quiet but has that demeanor of, yeah, I've got this shot, as opposed to the one who's kind of strutting his stuff or trutting, strutting her stuff. So confidence is really the player's belief that they have what it takes to hit particular shot. Now, <clears throat> when I say that, hopefully you and the listeners here, the first question in your mind is, well, if I really believe, meaning if the player really believes they have what it takes to hit that shot, that means that they're well prepared. Right. Right? So what we're really mm -hmm. talking about here is, <clears throat> do you practice effectively? And very, very often the player says, well, I'm not talking about practice. I'm asking, how do I be more confident in, in competition? And my first question is, no, let's rewind. Are you practicing in a way, increasing your stress level? You're, in sports psychology, we've heard it as arousal. So it's, are you getting yourself geared up? Are you feeling your heart pumping? Are you feeling your palms sweating in your mind? Are you in the moment of a competitive round while you're practicing? and proving to yourself in practice time and time and time and time again that, yes, I can hit that shot. I will hit that shot. This is absolutely within my capability. So now when you get into a competitive round, a competitive situation, now that it's clear to you that, yes, I have it. There's no doubt. I have it, and I've proven it over and over in practice. So... My answer to you, Ted, there first is, how does a player become more confident in competition? I say go back to the range and make sure that you're confident while you practice. And put that into, put it right. into effect when you're practicing. Right, and, and you're exactly right. You know, one of the things that uh, as, as a, an instructor that we often use is practicing with a purpose. And, and I'm sure you've seen this time and time again as well with – uh, obviously, more accomplished players understand this, but the less accomplished player or some of the higher handicappers that go out there on the range don't really practice with any sort of purpose. Um, so this is obviously really what you're getting at is if you're going to be more confident or want to be more confident on the golf course, then your preparedness on the range has to be done in such a way that helps instill some of that confidence that you take to the course. And you're exactly right in your analogy 
Um, you know, and we see this a lot of times. Uh, probably one of the best examples in, in modern day uh, of what you're talking about is Tiger Woods. I mean, you know, Tiger was very, very confident in his game for a long time. Obviously, he's had some uh, moments here and there uh, in recent years, but overall, uh, he's been very confident and a very quiet confident. He's not out there saying, you know, I'm going to conquer the world uh, per se. Um, but he was one, of, I would consider to be one of those quiet confidence. Would, would you agree with that, do you think? Sir, just in the last yes. <laughs> six to nine months. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I'm I would not say... sure if I, I don't know, if, I don't know if quiet would, is the, the adjective that I would use to describe, you know, Tiger's confidence. I mean, he was, he was overtly confident, you know, so he, but, but, sure. he, but he was, he was confident from the inside out and from right. the outside in, Right. you know, so he was, he was solid, you know, you know, both perspectives. But uh, so confidence is—it's—it's it's that proven ability. It's that be—it's that belief that yes, I, I I can do it, and I know I can do it, and I've proven to myself that I can do this. You know, it's interesting too um, how you know again the, these four C's of execution: commitment, confidence, concentration, and composure, and how you know I explained them a few minutes ago as kind of separate entities, and that they're each they're, they're the four right. C's of execution. But in reality, they're very, very much intertwined. Um, they're almost overlaid because mm-hmm. it's really hard to be confident um, if you're not composed. In other words, if you're, right. not, if you're not relaxed. And usually a lack of composure displays or it, it exhibits a lack of confidence. Um, mm-hmm. Think about concentration. You know, you've been there, I've been there, where it's yep. sometimes when the pressure mounts, you know, sometimes our mind is not even on the right thing. It drifts, you know, we'll, 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 we're more focused on the outcome or we're more focused on um, how this particular shot or score on this hole is going to play into our, our standing within the tournament or for, at a professional level. How is this, if I make or miss this shot, you know, how is this going to affect my earnings for this particular tournament and my standings? Am I going to make the FedEx Cup, et cetera? So concentration meaning being locked in on just this moment in time, what's happening right here, right now, that is a very much of a challenge, but that is very related to a player's confidence and composure. It's tough right. to be committed when you're not concentrated. So, so I, so I kind of throw these out there so that we, we as players, you know, and, and, a, and a really skilled mental fitness coach would help the player first and foremost understand that there are four distinct C's and under, understand what those C's of execution are, understand them, how to apply them. But then the next level of understanding is seeing the inner interconnectedness of these four so that we can mm-hmm. be at a high level of C's or at a high C when we're playing our best golf. Yeah. And, and we see this, Michael, we see this so much uh, again with, with some of our less advanced players out there, that fall short any one or, or many of these and ultimately um, don't have that confidence when they get out there. And we, we see this time and time again. And, and, and it goes back to something that I, I said a little bit earlier, and that is, you know, too many players that, that, you know, come to the lesson tee just want to sort of hit balls and, and don't really want to think about strategy or, or think about when they get out on the golf course. And that's why, you know, it's so important to get them out on the golf course and in real life playing conditions. Cause I mean, you can hit all the balls you want in the range, but if, if you haven't really got 
um, an understanding of how to put it all together when you get out there and play. Um, again, you can be the most accomplished ball striker, but if you don't know how to score and don't know how to put it to, to, to practice, if you will, um, then you're going to ultimately, and we've seen this with some of the, the best players in the world. I mean, I, Luke Donald comes to mind. He's certainly won some tournaments, but when you look at his ball striking compared to others on the tour, um, you know, he should have been cleaning up, but obviously yeah, there was something missing in his, his game. Right. Sorry. I agree. I, I would say he's a piece he, as pure a ball striker as you're going to find. Right. And, and, and yet, yet, and, and again, yet, he's why certainly isn't won, he winning more well, often. Right. Right, exactly. And, and this, again, falls into that, that category of, of our, again, our high handicappers focusing on the wrong area of game. That doesn't mean you, you don't need to hone certain skills that you're going to need out in the golf course, but the, the, the biggest skill is what's going on between your ears, and this is where a lot of them fall short. So let, let's, right. let's touch on a, another area as well that, that I know you want to talk you know, about. If I may, and that, before sorry. we move, before yeah, we go move ahead. on, let, let me just address something else because it – it really got me thinking about, you know, continuing the concept of practice. You know, so for for the listeners, um, you know, if, if you're in that 10-plus um, uh, handicap, so you're a little bit high, higher handicap, I have a suggestion for you that would help dramatically right away is ha- half of the balls that you hit on the range, don't hit them on a perfect lie. Because if you look at most players, they just knock over their bucket of balls, right? And then they just kind of drag right. one out. But their feet are perfectly you know, at the same height as the ball. It, you know, the ball, they, they drag, and, of course, they set the ball. You know, they roll the ball so it's sitting right. nicely on a nice little tuft of grass. And it's, you know, it's a nice tee box, right? But if, but if you look at mm-hmm. your scorecard from your last round, you say, okay, well, you know, how, how many of, you know, my 82 swings or my 92 swings? How many of them um, were really perfect lies? And the answer is yeah. probably not very many, except for the you know the tee shot, right? Because that's usually a, you know, a pretty good lie unless it's a, not a very good golf course. But so right away, my recommendation would be you know tip over your bucket, but only roll out half the balls and keep the other half in the bucket, so that after you've hit them off perfect lies, now go to the end of the range. Find some spots mm-hmm. um, where the grass is thicker and actually start to hit shots that are more resembling of what you're going to face on the golf course. Because then when you right. practice hitting those shots, now back to confidence, now when, you, when now you've got that lie in, a, in, an, in one of your upcoming rounds, you say your mind can go back to it and revert to your memory and say, wow, you know what, I hit a bunch of these on Tuesday. And I hit about, you know, three out of four were pretty good ball strikes, and I was within a decent, pretty close of my target. You know, so your confidence level, you know, that belief that you can't hit the ball is automatically higher versus if you yep. never hit on the range, you never practice those shots, and you get into that situation on, during a competitive round, then suddenly your mind goes into panic mode, and you go, oh, shoot, what do I do? What do I do? And it's hard to be confident. You know, so it's, a, it's funny you mentioned it. There's a suggestion, it just, and it's simple. It doesn't take any extra effort, <laughs> right. right? No, and, and and it's funny that you mentioned that because um, growing up, I mean, I, I took up golf at a very young age. My father, you know, took me out when I was basically knee-high to a grasshopper out to the golf course. And I remember the very first time, um, you know, that I obviously had some coherent about me. Um, and you know, we, we grabbed the bucket and, and instead of walking over where everybody else was 
you know, teeing up their shots, we did exactly what you just said as we walked off, you know, to the far end of the range and there was a little bit of a, a slope and, you know, the ground was a little uneven in spots and thicker grass and, and, you know, we started setting up and, and I said, you know, I looked at my father and I said, dad, why, why are we over here? And he says, because over there, you're only going to have so many shots on the golf course that are going to be from that kind of a lie. But over here is going to be something that's going to be more common and you need to understand how to, uh, you know, handle these types of shots as well. So that's where he took me was to the, to the end of the range. And to this day, yeah, yeah. To this day, uh, you know, when I do my practice sessions for, for myself personally and, and also students is I do just that is I take them to that, you know, off the, the, the beaten path, if you will, because I want them to understand. And I've always, you know, we always hear this expression, you know, let's take, uh, you know, how do I take my range game out in the golf course? But really what I try to think of is how do I take the golf course real sort of life experiences to the range? And that's a great way to do it Perfect. is, exactly. you know, that's what, what type you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, exactly. And, and, you know, yeah. and within the one way golf program, you know, and, and for those that are listening, I mean, you, you can Google one way golf and you'll find it. Um, or if you want to go to our website, which is wedevelopyou.com, that's all spelled out. Um, one of the key areas with all of our clients, um, my, both my clients and the other one-way golf coaches, who we, we actually train our coaches as well, and, and we support them as they build their businesses. But we're, we spend a lot of time helping players with practice effectiveness, and one of the key areas is planning practices. We, we never, our, our, our golfers, our one-way golfers never show up to the range and say, gee, what should I do today? Right. It's just, it's, we just don't do it. And the reason why we don't do it is because that's not how you prepare for a round of golf. So the, the mm-hmm. base here, Ted, is you have to keep good statistics of your round. Now, it doesn't have to be yep. super deep, I mean, unless you're making a living playing golf, and then obviously the more data, the better. But... You base your statistics on what's actually happening on the course. So if you're missing a third of your fairways right and the other third left and then a third in the fairway, well, you're scattered off the tee box. So now right away you need to say, all right, well, what's going on? Why am I not hitting yeah. fairways? And then you can take that to your, to your swing coach or you can, if you're self-taught, you can look, you know, video yourself you know, on your iPad at the range, and you can actually start to see, well, why is that have to hone in on those answers? So then you, then you create practice plans. Now, it doesn't have to be fancy. We have practice planning cards, of course, that we fill out before every practice. But it can just be in a notepad or on an index card. Write down, based upon your statistics, what's happening on the course. Write down specifically what you want to and need to work on so that you can shave strokes. Then follow that plan throughout your practice. Don't deviate from it. Um, and it's and once again, right. it's, it's not complicated. And it doesn't, you know, I mean, you don't have to hire somebody to teach you to do it. You just have to have the desire to play better golf and then use your stats, keep stats, write practice plans, and then follow your plan when you're practicing. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. And I think what a lot of problem, uh, Michael, with with most people out there when it comes to, you know, improving their golf, we see the same thing, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the previous um, segment before you came on, you know, we have a, a panel discussion every week. And, um, you know, one of the problems is, you know, certain parts of the country, obviously they're getting ready to, 
uh, to dig in for, for the winter and, and they're not going to get out there and play. And they don't really do anything uh, for any preparedness for next season. So they just sort of the, the clubs go in the garage or, or what have you. They collect dust until next year. Um, maybe they might get out if they've got an indoor facility nearby and they might get out once in a while and, and hit some balls if they've got time. But for the most part, they've dug their heels in. They're, they're involved in something else. And then, you know, next spring, uh, you know, the first birds are chirping and out come the clubs and they get to the range and decide they're going to do a little warm up and they're wondering why they're all over the place and th- there's no continuity to to what they're able to do. And a lot of that is, again, it goes to poor planning and poor preparedness. And there's a lot of things that they can be doing throughout the what we call the off season for, for those, especially in the Northeast, um, that they can be doing now and they choose not to. So, you know, these are things that, that we try to instill as instructors with, with our students is there's things that you can be doing all year long. Even if you can't play all year long, there's things mentally that you can be doing to prepare yourself for next season. Uh, and even physically that you can do, uh, keeping in good shape and certain exercises that are conducive to good golf play. So there's a lot of different things. One of the other things too, though, uh, and this touches on another area that I know you guys focus on, and that is pressure. Um, a lot of people feel the heat, you know, even the best players in the, in the world feel that pressure out in the golf course. What are some things that, that you've touched on uh, through one way um, in order to help people stay calm under pressure? What are some, some things or tips that you can give to the to listeners out there? Well, in, in, again, uh, referencing the platform, the one-way platform, what you're talking specifically about there, Ted, is the fourth C of execution, which is composure. And that's just the ability mm-hmm. to... Stay relaxed, properly relaxed, mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, and spiritually as well. And so um, my suggestions with players who have, a, have difficulty staying composed and relaxed under pressure, uh, the first suggestion I have for them is slow down. Just slow down. Because what happens under press, pressure or the, the perception of pressure, because a, a lot of it really is just that perception, is that a player right. starts getting, they start getting fast. The thing they do, they start thinking really quickly. Their mind starts racing. You watch their gait, their walk, the pace at which they walk. When they're nice and calm and it's the you know, middle of the round and they're just cruising along, hitting shots, and they've got a nice casual calm pace to their to their walk and then you look and then when the pressure starts to mount you see it their pace quickens and they start walking quickly um, they start doing everything right. more quickly um, they're, they're the sw- then of course the swing itself you know normally they've got a nice tempoed you know swing uh, with a great you know backswing set and downswing ratio uh, you know it's kind of the tour tempo stuff and, and you look at their mm-hmm. swing, and everything just gets a little bit out of kilter, and they never even get the club to the top of their backswing, and they're starting their downs, and everything's fast, and their hips are way ahead of their swing. You know, so my first suggestion right away to any player who has, a, has an issue or a problem with staying relaxed and calm under pressure is consciously slow yourself down. And that in mm-hmm. itself have tremendous effect and, and, and benefit to your to your swing and your scores. Um, 
so that that's a recommendation right there too. Something else that I find, you know, and, and, and this at, at first glance, this is gonna this is gonna sound a little bit strange, probably to most listeners, but it's very it's very fundamental and very sound, and that has to do with expectations. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of players that I work with, and and I and, and Again, we, we, we work with competitive players. And by competitive, we're not necessarily saying they're tour-bound because, you know, 99% right. of the listeners right now are not tour-bound, and, and that's just fine. They just want to play, and they want to they wanna play to the best of the ability. So when we talk about competitive, it means a player who really is, is trying to, to compete to the best of their ability. It's not just your show-up-grip-and-rip-it type of player. Um, and so when we talk about being competitive, I think it's important that players be realistic of what really is a quality round of golf for them. So a lot of players, they'll go to the first tee box or the seventh green or the ninth fairway, and and in their mind, they've got it in their mind that they're a scratch player. But Mm -hmm. they've never broken 80 in their life. Right. (laughs) Does that make sense? You're exactly right. So, yeah, so in, you're exactly as right. They, as they set up over a shot, now it doesn't mean again this this may seem you know counterintuitive. As they is is their you know pre-shot routine, they're imaging the shot and they see it the ball flight and they see it land and they always see in their mind they see the perfect shot, which is good. That's what you want. Of course, you don't want to see a miss hit. You know, you don't want to stage yourself for mm-hmm. miss hit. So you want to see the shot you want to hit, and that's perfectly fine. That's absolutely what they should be doing. But there's a piece of that in then they expect that every time the ball meets the club face that that's what's going to happen. And right. it's not what happens. It's not what happens to the best of the best on the planet. You know, golf is exactly. really a game of mistake management. Mm-hmm. If you were to, and I have, yep. I mean, some of the you know, professional players, even top-level collegiate and, and junior players, you know, when they're down with us, they finish up, they hand in, sign their card, hand it in, in a stellar round, really a tremendous round of golf. You ask them, you say, so, of, this, of the X number of swings and, and strokes you took today, how many of those were the out what you wanted? And they say, oh, maybe four or five. Mm-hmm. They say, well, wait a minute, how could that be? You just shot a 65. And only five of them were really perfect swings, perfect shots. Say, yeah. So my point here, Ted, and listeners, is that realize that you are not going to play perfect golf. Matter of fact, you're probably not even going to play anything near perfect golf. So instead, what you should be is realistic and say, you know what, my objective is to hit this shot. But I realize that I'm probably not going to. So that realization in and of itself will start to settle a person down and will help them be yep. more relaxed and just say, okay, let's put a good swing on this one and see what happens. And, and, and their, their very being will start to calm down and they'll, will be more proper instead of the death grip, right? And everything about them yep. will start to become more calm, more composed. So that there's a couple tips you know, for you as an instructor to maybe to bring to your students, but also for those listeners to maybe apply. is just, you know, be more realistic with your expectations and, um, mm-hmm. and slow down. Slow down all your, all your senses, everything that you're doing when you get under pressure. 
Yeah, and, and you're you know you're exactly 100% right. You know we often see this with um, you know students where you know they'll get out there and something will you know go awry in their round. Maybe you know there are a few holes into the round, and suddenly the wheels you know fall off the proverbial bus, and that pressure you know starts to mount, and they quicken their pace. Their breathing you know gets a little deeper and a little heavier and you know they just don't know how to recover and you know by slowing down and and you know just even calming their their breathing and, and their cadence a little bit is is some great uh, great advice and and well said um another area yeah another area too michael that and we talked about this in the, in uh, the again the, the conversation we had before you come on uh in the coach's corner panel uh, sort of fits into the next uh, one that we want to touch on here, and, and that is, you know, maintaining uh, focus. And the example that we talked about was really sort of, you know, how do we stay, uh, how do we we focus and stay in the moment and not several holes ahead, um, which we often see a lot of players doing. You know, as you were sort of alluding to earlier, uh, you know, they get out there and they're playing in their round and they're thinking about the, you know, later in the round or maybe there's a couple of holes coming up that they're focusing on. Uh, when they should be staying in, in the moment right now, uh, because this is the only shot that matters is the one they're about to take right now. Um, touch on that a little bit. W- what are some of the things that, that you can suggest or, or help the, the listeners in? Absolutely. Well, again, you know, what you're referring to here, and, and listeners, this isn't scripted. This is just a, a great dialogue between Ted and I, and it's, it's, it's fun to hear you listen or hear, hear, listen to you ask questions uh, that the golfers want to know answers to, and they fit right into the, the platform of one-way golf, again, because it's a best practice right. model. This is what the best do. And what you're talking about here is the third C of execution, which is concentration. And by definition, mm-hmm. concentration really means just being locked in on what's happening right here, right now. Right. Okay? And there is, there is no future. There is no past. Mm-hmm. And what we've got right now is this absolute moment in time. And mm-hmm. ultimately, um, I wish I had a magic bullet for clients to say, here, this is what you got to do to be fully focused or fully concentrated. But ultimately, I think it's much more of a cognitive decision. It's actually something that they just have to decide, recognize and decide that they're going to do and going to be. Now, you're talking about a golfer who's out on the course and he's maybe he's a hole or two ahead. And sometimes what can pull a player into the future is both fear of maybe, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, you're on 7 and, you know, the, the ninth hole is is the number one handicap and it's a very challenging hole whether it's the fairway bunkers or a tight fairway or a variety of other hazards or the green is really challenging, whatever it may be. And so Sometimes the fear of what's coming up can pull a, a player's mind into the future. Um, but also excitement could pull, mm-hmm. in, in, in a, a real positive anticipation can pull a player into the future. So that, again, so you're on this, you know, uh, you know you're on the 13th fairway or 13th tee box and you're thinking about 14 or 15 and how it's a long par or a relatively short rather par five and you're a long hitter and you're going oh that's that's a birdie hole man i know i can birdie maybe even eagle it right. if my second <laughs> shot is, is, is on right. the stick right 
So it could be something right. that you're really excited about coming up in the future as well. So the future isn't always doom and gloom. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe what's coming up. It, it could be very much the excitement and anticipation of the future, right? So, but also the past, you know, you could be thinking as you're over a shot or you're walking down the fairway, you're setting up for a putt, you could be thinking of how you blew it, this shot, a similar shot in the past, whether it was this round or a previous round. So something in the past creates anxiety or fear. But you could also be thinking about, oh, boy, last time I stepped over this shot, boy, I really, I was mm-hmm. on, I hit it right on the screws, or I, boy, I, hit, I drained this downhill putt just a, perfectly the last time I set up to the shot. So, again, the past doesn't necessarily have to be fear or, or uh, something of failure, but it could also be something that you did extremely well. So my point, again, right. is, it could be the future, it could be the past, it could be good in the future, it could be bad in the future, it could be good in the past, it could be bad in the past. The player just has to really make up his mind or make up her mind that, you know what, I can't be in the future and I can't be in the past. The only place mm-hmm. that I really can be is right here, right now, to hit mm-hmm. this shot. And so that's yep. where then we really we focus in on help uh, through a variety of techniques. So some of them are off course. I mean, some thing, things like imagery, uh, things like mm-hmm. meditation, simple meditation, just where you just focus in on just your breathing and just hearing and feeling your breathing and it, how it, it teaches your mind to be very present and very now. Even things like conversations, all right? In a typical con- conversation that you or I have or these listeners have with somebody, less than half of the time when they're in the conversation, are they actually listening? Right. Their mind is drifting. They're focused on mm-hmm. dinner, what's coming up later today. They're focusing in on, oh, my gosh, because Christmas is coming up or the holidays are coming up, and they're thinking about their holiday parties or they're thinking about their job. So they're thinking about all sorts of things that have nothing to do with this conversation that you're having, right? And so mm-hmm. when I address this with my clients, what I'll do immediately is I'll say, I want you to really start to train yourself to focus. Quit daydreaming. Quit being focused on things that aren't in the present. And just when they start recognizing how often and how regularly they really are not very present, then mm-hmm. they start to become more present in, in the moment. So then the carryover, the flow through is from off the course onto the course, and, and, they, and usually they have these aha moments and they say, wow, you know what? I'm actually training my mind without my club in hand, training my mind to be more focused and more concentrated, be more present. And I'm having the, this natural effect is I'm finding that it's easier to be present on the golf course because I'm training my mind off the golf course. Are you with yep. me? Okay. Exactly. So there's some other ideas, you know, for the listeners tonight is quit daydreaming. You know, very often I hear my players, my clients, or people in general talk about the whole concept of multitasking, right? Where, mm-hmm. in other words, what they're saying is when I multitask, I can do multiple things at the same time. And my response to that, Ted, is that's baloney. That is absolute <laughs> garbage. The human brain, as incredibly powerful as it is, 
It is not capable of having two things on itself simultaneously. Now, it may appear right. that we're actually thinking of two things simultaneously, or three things, or five things, or 15 things. But what we're really doing is flipping back and forth very, very quickly. We're never actually mm -hmm. at the same time thinking about two things simultaneously. So with that in mind, and when I get agreement with my clients that, yes, that is truth, which it is, we say, all right, mm -hmm. well, then, if you know that that's truth, and if this shot, what you really need to be focused on is just a good, smooth downstroke, downswing, just, just, just feel that swing fluid all the way through, not the mechanics, but just the feel of a good fluid swing all the way through. If that's what you want to be focused in on, and that thing only, well, then lock in on that and let that be the focal point of your, all your senses right here, right now, just focus in on having a nice fluid swing. And so these are, you know, some of the things that I speak with on my, with my clients at the range during playing lessons, um, during uh, preparation rounds for events and things like that. So there's there's a few a few ideas. Hopefully that was helpful for you, Ted. Mm -hmm. No, perfect. And, and you know what, what's interesting, and I want to share something that. Um, Obviously, in addition to this show, I, I do uh, another show called The Women of Golf on Tuesday mornings. And uh, I think it was actually last year that we had a guest on, and, and the name slips my mind right now. But she shared a story about Annika Sorenstam. And what was kind of interesting, uh, it, again, goes on to what we were talking about. And this was before uh, a U.S. Women's Open. And Annika uh, had spoken to this individual and said, you know, uh, I really am – get a lot of anxiety sometimes with, with a big event like this because I get so entrenched in, in focusing uh, on my game that I almost get overwhelmed. And the advice that was given to her, and of course I'm paraphrasing here, but was to essentially, when you, once you've hit the shot, let's say you've teed off uh, number one, while you walk to your ball, because for four and a half hours, you cannot focus entirely on that entire round. You've got to let your mind rest a little bit. And she said, you know, Annika, as an example, you know, you're getting ready to, to redo your kitchen. Why don't you think about some of the things that you want to do while you're walking down the fairway? You know, what, what you want to do, what maybe new appliances, what have you. Uh, in other words, get your mind out of the moment for a second. Think about something else to be relaxed and calm. But then once you get back, in play and you're ready to take your next shot, then you refocus uh, at the shot in hand. In other words, you can, it's okay to get out of the moment or even daydream a little bit in between, but once you get back to that shot, um, then it's time to pull those resources and focus on the task at hand. And I want to get your thought on that. What do you think about that advice um, to Annika? Well, and ultimately just to... Uh, yeah, she's she's. Yeah, let me on. just very quickly say this before you answer. Let let me just say this before you end. She actually went on to win the tournament. And and a few others too, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so what do you so, think? But you under, you understand that's a problem with a lot of golfers as they get so in, entrenched. I mean, obviously we want them to stay focused, but it, it's impossible really for us to be focused on something like that um, vigorously for such a long period of time because mentally there's going to be at some point become a breakdown um, with pressure and, and other things. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so 
touch on that a little but bit. I'm, what, I'm, what are your I'm thoughts gonna, on I'm that? Gonna address it. Let me address it in, from a couple different angles. One, we're just we're going to start with mm-hmm. biology 101. Okay, and you know right. most of us have taken a biology class in high school or in college, and mm-hmm. and the, the carotid artery which runs directly from the, the heart to what organ? The brain. Brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's it. it I mean, without getting morbid here, that's why if you really want to off somebody quickly, all right, right you don't punch them in <laughs> right. the chest, but you do. You know, you you take a sharp object and you go right for the throat, right? Why? Right. Because that is the thickest artery in the body, and it goes directly with fully oxygenated blood, thick, mm-hmm. rich, the, the real deal, the blood that goes directly to the brain. Why? Because the brain requires an enormous amount of oxygenated blood in the, in the, uh, to operate effectively. So that being said, when you're focused, when you're, in other words, when your brain is at a high RPM, think of RPMs on the, just the dashboard of your car, you know, 5,000 RPMs just really dialed in, going fast. When you're focused, your brain is really working hard. Mm-hmm. For those of us, if, if right. you're a college student listening, think about when you're done taking a two-hour final exam, you know, how how exhausted you feel. And you say, this is crazy. Yep. I, I sat there for two hours, and all the only muscles that moved were my forearms so I could fill in dots with a pencil right, or, or keystrokes on a keypad. But why am I so tired? Well, you're so tired because your brain was super engaged for two straight hours. Or after, for those in the workforce, if after a really stressful morning or afternoon of meetings or of high concentration, you're exhausted when you get home. Same idea there. So, so we refer to it in one-way golf. We refer to it as shot cycling. So in other words, when you, fr- from the beginning of your pre-shot routine through the ball strike, you should be extremely well-focused. Very, very, very focused, concentrated. After a ball strike, you hold your finish, you assess the shot and maybe your swing just a little bit, you put your club back in your bag, and you you head on off for your, your caddy grabs your bag and you start walking to your to your your lie. At that point, we actually want to, and, and, and I'm sitting here in my chair, and so I'm, I'm actually bringing my hands together, and then I'm, I'm kind of bouncing them out, like as if moving forward, but they're actually moving out away from each other. Right. So our focus should actually become less and less and less. In other words, we start mm-hmm. to turn our mind off. We turn our brain off. Right. So it's, it's giving your brain uh, a break between shots to mm-hmm. think about other things. You, were, you made a reference to your, you know, re- redoing your kitchen. Well, my, my, my first question yeah. would be, well, does re- if you're going to think about redoing your kitchen, or, or is that going to create concentration or stress? And if it is, don't yeah. think about it, because that's what we're trying to right. avoid, right? <laughs> so in other words, what right. you really should do is find out what really just relaxes you. Maybe it's just walking down the mm. fairway or walking up to the green and noticing the beautiful scenery around you. Golf courses are the world's beautiful, most beautiful parks, right? Just observe what's right. going on around you. Maybe think, put if it's a person that's calming in your mind, maybe it's your son or your daughter or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse mm. or whatever it may be, just put that person in your mind so that it's relaxing to your mind. So you have to be very intentional about what you, one, that you choose to thought a shot cycle, 
you recognize the importance of it, and then you, you put in your mind or you have a go-to list of things that you're going to think about that will relax you and get your mind off of golf um, you know, for the next 45, 50, 90 seconds, whatever it may be, until you get to the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put an asterisk there, though, Ted, because I've had it happen with clients where if they get too, if their mind gets too far off of golf, then it's hard right. for them to pull it back in because now my hands here in front of me right. are actually starting to move back more into a narrow uh, shoot. It's tough for them to come back into golf, and they actually find them that they weren't focused then over the next shot or the next putt or whatever it may be. So it's it's kind of a case by case depending on the player. Um, that, but it, mm-hmm. but it, the concept is is perfect. Don't be yep. super focused for four and a half hours. And, and, and if you think about it, most rounds aren't four and a half anymore anyway. They're more closer to five, five and a half, right? So right, don't right, be exactly. hyper-focused, um, but be careful how broad or how far out you lose, uh, you become unfocused. You, you want to make sure you can pull yourself back into the now, into the present, over your next shot. You know, uh, uh, great, some great points. You know, this is something, Michael, that, that I've seen uh, exactly what you were just talking about with getting too far out of uh, focus. Um, I see this a lot with corporate golf. You know, we see a lot of executives going out in the golf course and their mind's still back at the office. They're thinking about a proposal that's, you know, due to, uh, to come up or uh, a client they need to get in touch with, you know, afterwards. And, you know, there are certain things that certainly they can be thinking about but at the same time, if they're so far focused on that, again, that proposal or, or following up with clients and things like that, that they're getting too far out of the moment, like you said, it's hard to sort of rein them back in uh, when the shot is hand. And, and this is why I always encourage my clients, you know, when, when we get out on the golf course and that, I don't, I don't want to see their, their cell phone unless they've got, you know, a yardage app or something on there that they're using. Um, I don't want to, you know, have them looking over to see if somebody's texted them or, or something like that. I want them to stay focused in the moment. And then in between the shots, you know, if we're doing a playing lesson, then, you know, I want to talk about something else that's entirely separate. I don't want to even talk about their work um, because then they start thinking about, well, gosh, you know, uh, i got to get back to the office or, or what have you. And, and again, it, it, they get too distracted, and then it's difficult to get them refocused. Uh, on the task at hand. So uh, that's a great point that you raise. And, and that's somewhere, because I do a lot of corporate um, uh, golf uh, lessons and that with, with, you know, individuals that, that want to improve in that area. And that's something that I see all the time. They bring their, their work to the golf course. They're practically opening their briefcase, uh, you know, in, in the cart or, or on the practice tee. And I, I, that's a no, no for me. And now of course, with the advances in cell cellular technology, you know, it's in an app or something, or, you know, it's in their uh, email. So uh, that's something I try to, to get them to do is to, to not f- get too deeply focused on something like that. Uh, one other right. thing I want to I touch on uh, with you, and, and that is so- something I found very interesting in some of the points that you sent over, uh, and, and that was to, to make an unfamiliar course seem like your home track. Obviously, some people that maybe belong to a course or uh, people that uh, play, you know, certain courses on a, a, a regular um, frequency uh, do become familiar, but every once in a while, they maybe they go on vacation or they get invited to another course. Um, talk about how do we make a, an unfamiliar course seem like we're we're playing our own home course? 
Well, technology is a, I mean, in many respects, technology is a, a fantastic opportunity, a fantastic tool. You know, you made, you just made reference with uh, smartphones. Sometimes I refer to mm -hmm. them as dumb phones um, because they make <laughs> us pretty dumb, don't they? When, when we're staring at our screen, right. when we should be enjoying the round of golf and, and trying to play better. But technology off the course. So if you know you have an, uh, you've got an event coming up at a course, well, you can go online and you can, you can. E there's either a virtual flyover of the course. Um, here, I'm going to put you just, just one quick second. Okay. Can you hear me okay now, Ted? Yeah. Okay. I had to put you on speakerphone because my headset is uh, beeping at me. Uh, battery's going low, low. But so we can go online with technology, and we can we can see the course. We can see our distances. We can see the tee boxes. Um, and so what you can what the player can do then is they can actually create a round plan based upon um, what they've seen at the course website, um, and and if they have the time or the desire, they can actually image, and, and by that we mean visualize um, the, each particular shot or the tee shots or maybe the particular difficult shots on that particular course. So using imagery to, in your mind, play that course, um, mm -hmm. which will then help you uh, be much more comfortable and confident and concentrated and committed, those are the four C's again, uh, of execution when you get to this course, which you're really not that familiar with. Exactly. Um, and, and you know, you're right about the technology. There is a lot out there, and, and it certainly has its advantages to help in some areas, but it can also um, be a bit of a disadvantage, too, for some folks out there that get too wrapped up in the technology. We see that on the instruction side. Uh, you know, every year down at the PGA Merchandising Show in January, you know, they're always coming out with some late, great gadget, uh, you know, that they want the golfers to, to incorporate. And the problem is that they get overwhelmed with a lot of this technology. So um, there's a place and time for everything. But, uh, yeah, we got to learn to stop looking at the screen uh, and start looking at, at what's going on around us out in the golf course. As you mentioned a few moments ago, um, you know, golf courses are, are like a, probably the most beautiful park out there. And um, we, we need to take advantage and, and enjoy that beauty while we're out there and not be looking down at, at a screen or, um, you know, or, or something else. So um, you know, that, that's I'm a great point. Also, Ted, I'm a big advocate of walking courses. You know, I know, you know, for pace of yeah, play, me, and yeah, me too. won't allow you. But, you know, when you, when you walk a course, you know, you connect with the course. You, you feel the grass underneath your feet as you walk. You notice things on the course right. that you wouldn't normally notice. You're part of the game of golf when you walk, um, and yes. that's becoming less and less, which is unfortunate. Um, another thing that's really is more lost is is actually stepping off yardages. You know, when yes. you when when you get to your ball and you drop your bag and you actually step off the yardage, and and and, and you start to connect with distances. You start to really see things and feel things that you normally wouldn't, as opposed to pulling up next to the ball in your cart. You know, looking at the screen and it says 162. You know, you know mm -hmm. that's not how the game was designed. It was originally designed by shepherds hitting stones with sticks into holes, right? Right. And so, right. You know, the closer we can get back to the purity of the game of golf, and and leaving behind this, the extraneous technology that's really not improving the game or our experience with the game, I think players will not only enjoy the game more. 
And I think they'd be very surprised at how their scores will start to go the right direction as well. Right. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. And, th- and this is what we try to to teach them. You know, when we uh, and a lot of times, actually, what I will do is I will insist. Um, obviously, I'm not going to, especially if I'm dealing with with um, you know somebody that has to be in touch with their office for emergency reasons or things or or you know uh, family concerns. Uh, I certainly will allow them to have their phone, but I, you know I'll have them put it on a vibrate or or something because I don't want to. Uh, you know, during the lesson to be continually um, distracted because that becomes a big problem. But, um, you know, there are so many things that, you know, you touched on tonight that I'm hoping for the listeners out there that they really, um, you know, take to heart because you've you've given some great uh, bits of information that people can really think about. And it's not all about just going out there and beating balls on a a range. There's a lot more to this game. Uh, And and if you really want to have fun and enjoy it, um, then you need to focus on um, what goes on, you know, between your ears and and how you think yourself away around the course and 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 approach the game. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that you touched about tonight that are they're very very important. And, and again, it's not just about about becoming a better ball striker. That's that's one part of the game, um, but that's not the only part. And uh, I think you you've expressed it very well tonight uh, in our conversation. Um, yeah. yeah, Michael. I hate to say this, but we're this has probably been one of the fastest hours I think I've had on on the air. Um, we're, we're actually well, just down to the last. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. I enjoyed the conversation. I, I wish we had more time. I, I want to give you an opportunity, of course, to just to let the, the listeners know, um, because not only do we have just sort of regular folks tuning in, but obviously a lot of my, my fellow golf professionals that maybe some are, you're not working with right now, but maybe might be interested in what you're you're offering. So let the folks know how they can reach out to you if they're interested um, in, in working directly with you or maybe becoming part of uh, One Way Golf uh, uh, group, if you will. Absolutely. I appreciate that opportunity. So first I'm going to speak with the players. Um, you know, regardless of where you are as a player, but if you're really desiring to become better, to, to have more success within the game and enjoy the game more effectively, I encourage you to, to go to our website and just read up a little bit. Um, and um, and if, if becoming a one-way golf client, being coached one-on-one, because that's our platform, um, you think would help in, in, with your game, I, I encourage you to, um, to go ahead and fill out the form on our website. And that website is We Develop You. That's all spelled out, W-E-D-E-V-E-L-O-P-Y-O-U.com. Uh, if you're not writing it down, just Google one-way golf, and you'll find it pretty easily that way. Or you can call our, our corporate offices directly. That phone phone number is 970-674-2818. Again, 970-674-2818. And we'd be more than happy to answer any questions that that you may have. That's whether you're a junior player, you're a collegiate player, you know, whatever level you're at. You know, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to help you. Um, Now I'm going to speak to the swing instructors or people in the golf industry. we are actively seeking high-quality people who love the game of golf, are really passionate about helping others to improve in the game of golf, and are also entrepreneurial and would like to build a business for themselves, a significant revenue stream. If that, was, if that describes you and you're listening to this and you're not wholly into your current um, uh, profession or career, 
go to We Develop You and fill out the franchise form because we do we train our coaches. We've, we're building a, a network of coaches nationwide. Um, you don't have to have a degree in sports psychology. Uh, you don't have you know we'll train you on our platform and we'll teach you how to do it uh, again so you can help players and make a good living for yourself doing it. So if that interests you, feel free to reach out to us. So that being said, Ted, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, listeners, uh, thank you for listening uh, and concentrating as well as you did. Um, and who knows, maybe, Ted, maybe in the future we can get back on and um, share some of the other ideas that One Way Golf teaches. Oh, well, I would love to, and I was actually just about to say that, um, Michael, I will certainly be in touch with you, and I'd love to have you come back on in the new year uh, again for, for another show, and we'll continue that conversation. But in the meantime, uh, I want to uh, thank you once again for coming on and, and sharing uh, your story with uh, not only uh, the regular listeners out there, but with my fellow uh, golf professionals as well. I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, sharing that, and uh, I, I look forward to having you come back on a, on a future show. And uh, in, lot, in the meantime, right. have uh, a great evening. Yeah, you, yeah, you too. Have a great holiday season, and uh, I look again look forward to having you come back on and join me one more time on Golf Talk Live. Sounds good. All right, take care. All right, bye bye. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Michael Riggs, the founder of One Way Golf. Uh, you can uh, Google One Way Golf, and uh, you will find the uh, link to the website there. And uh, or you can call them at uh, their office at area code nine seven zero six seven four two eight one eight. And if you have any questions, whether you're uh, somebody in the uh, golf industry already, maybe you're interested in, in uh, taking up on a franchise opportunity, uh, or maybe you're somebody looking to improve your game uh, and would like to work with uh, with somebody in the one way golf family, uh, you can also reach out at that number. I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody. Uh, for faithfully tuning into uh, Golf Talk Live each and every week. And as I've said so many, many times, I enjoy uh, all of the uh, uh, many talented uh, coaches and uh, teaching professionals and, and many of the authors and entrepreneurs that have stopped by the show over this last season particularly. Um, and it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a, a first-class show. Special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters, uh, Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide, uh, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf, uh, Nikki and, and Tiffany Litherland, uh, and Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf, and uh, also my good friend Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over at Island. Thank you uh, for all of your continued support as well. And uh, next week, uh, December 20th, will be the last show. There will not be a Coach's Corner panel, uh, but I will have my very good friend and special guest, Brett Cohen, uh, certified golf fitness instructor, is going to be on the show uh, he'll be uh, closing out the season with me, uh, so make sure you tune in next week. Uh, but on that note, uh, God bless everybody, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. <laughs>